It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Yesterday we had an immensely busy programme, particularly with people sending in questions and queries about the local property tax to our expert who joined us from uh, Revenue, uh, Sinead Cunningham. And in fairness to Sinead, I think she did her best to try to answer as many of the questions as uh, possible. Uh, but we only got through a fraction of the questions that we received yesterday. So we were saying to people that there is a local property tax helpline available from Revenue. But as Sinead explained to us yesterday and backed up by a number of our listeners, it, that helpline has been extremely busy since it's been put in place. And I was calling out the number yesterday and I'll call it out again in a moment in case you need pen and paper to take down the telephone number. What astounded me was the fact that the helpline was only open from half nine to half four and as Sinead had said the mornings are always the busiest and if you need to ring to try to ring in the afternoon and I did make the point yesterday would it not be a good idea with the deadline fast approaching for the 7th of November for people to file the local property tax returns would it not be a good idea to extend that helpline opening hours number now I'm not saying that they heard me or anything but the good news is that from today they are extending the hours for the helpline from today the helpline will operate. It's open now from 8am in the morning until 8pm. Now they're going to do it today and tomorrow, Thursday. And it said further extended opening hours will be considered later in the week should the demand for the service remain high. I have a gut instinct that I'll be back on the programme saying that they've extended the opening hours uh, for Friday. Will they decide to open it at the weekend? Because up to now it's only been opened Monday to Friday. But at least good news for today and tomorrow. They should be able to answer more uh, queries from people. It's on a Dublin number oh one. 738-3626 738-3626 You are going to have to be patient when you are calling that number because they say there is a very um, excessive demand uh, for it. Now I know Revenue in recent days said there had been a surge in the level of calls uh, to the helpline and they had daily calls exceeding 12,000 calls and that's when it was operating from half nine to half four but that was they were answering 12,000 calls on top of the people then the numbers 
who we heard from who literally gave up. They were on hold for maybe two hours and just said, no, I have something else I need to do. And so I'll come back to it at another time. So they missed a lot of calls as well. So if you need to get through, I think take on board Sinead's advice as well and wait until later on in the afternoon. It seems to be a quieter time. And according to the papers today, almost a third of homeowners who have already filed and sent their returns in for the local property tax have valued their homes to be worth less than 200,000. The the band one is your house is valued from zero to 200,000. So almost a third of homeowners saying their house is worth under 200,000. The Revenue are releasing statistics and it shows that 31% of property owners have submitted a valuation of their home under that figure, which means they will face the lowest property tax bill which is around the 90 euro mark. The figures show that most homeowners who have valued their homes have opted for one of the two lower valuation bans and that will mean that the majority of property owners who have so far submitted a valuation to revenue will be paying less than about 240 euro. It depends on what local authority area you're actually living in. There's about 100,000 homeowners who will be submitting a return for the first time for local property tax. These are people who would have built houses since 2013. So that's 100,000 extra people to pay local property tax. Most property owners are unlikely though to end up having to pay more than they previously paid even though there has been a surge of up to 90% in property values since the tax was first introduced in 2013 and that's because the valuation bans have been widened, widened and the rate of the tax has been uh, lowered. And as Sinead pointed out yesterday for people valuing, you've got to put the value on your house yourself and it has to be a fair and an honest valuation. Revenue say it's been double checking valuations up to now and they say just a small number of homeowners were found to be undervaluing their properties. It said that if revenue has a concern, if you put in a value that is way less, say, than everybody else in your neighbourhood, that to me would probably raise alarm bells with revenue. If they're concerned about your valuation, then they will contact you uh, about your self-assessed valuation and they'll ask you then to support the valuation with um, evidence. Uh, that's And they say that they've been doing it and the, the ones that they have checked in with just a very, very small number were un, undervaluing. So most people are giving a fair and an honest valuation. And once again, the deadline is next Monday, the 7th of November for filing your local property tax return. Dublin 738-3626 if you still have any questions or uh, queries, you can get them in there. And yesterday we were all also talking about changes that are going to be brought in to funerals in the West Cork area. And this has been introduced by the Diocese of Cork and Ross. And that then led to people discussing how things have changed in the church because of the pandemic. And one particular listener was taking great umbrage to the stewards who give of their time voluntary, I have to emphasise that, to turn up at Mass every Sunday to make sure that everybody is safe and that everybody is abiding by hand sanitising and if there's social distancing in the church that everybody's sitting in the right seats. But one listener was very, was, well, well she's 
said that she she was laughing about it, but you could sense the annoyance in her text that she'd been at, in a church in the county. It wasn't her own church. She was visiting an area in the county of Cork and that she was saying that the stewards, she almost described it as being like a piece of theatre, the way the stewards had worked down from the top of the church to the end of the church in order to give out communion so that the communion was done row by row by row so that you didn't get everybody rushing up and this I'm assuming would have been at a time uh, when social distancing was being strictly enforced inside in churches so that has led to an email from one of our listeners listening to us on podcast in the States to say just listened to your podcast of the programme yesterday to the person who complained that, compu- that the communion was a bit like a piece of theatre with the stewards standing by each pew, starting at the front, then making their way to the back, letting out each pew go in order. Can I tell you, it's been common practice over here in the United States of America. It's an orderly way of receiving communion. Instead of the free-for-all, I see in most parishes when I come back home to Ireland, hopefully other parishes in Ireland will also change the way communion will be received. Isn't that interesting? So it's been going on in the States way before the pandemic. Rather than communion starts and everybody rushes out of their pews, it's done in a very orderly way. There's a steward standing there saying, "Okay, pew number one, you can go up, pew number two, pew number three, and leave everybody up in an orderly fashion. 1850-333-103. And there's one other piece that came in yesterday that I just didn't get a chance to get around to because we were literally just so busy, but it caught my eye. And I don't know, as I say, if other family members are experiencing something similar. But the listener says, has any other family, has anybody else listening to your programme got a family member in hospital at the moment? We can go into pubs, we can go into into clubs, we can go to a nightclub, we can go have a meal out. And yet we can't pop in to visit a family member in hospital even if only for two seconds. A family member went into hospital last Thursday. I dropped a bag to him, including a phone charger. I dropped it in last Friday. Up to yesterday, he still hasn't received it. Three security guards were sitting inside in the hospital when I went to drop the bag in. They were having a chat. I said, this is a bag I need to drop in to a family member. And they said, leave it there with the others. So obviously other people had done the same thing. I've been ringing his ward. Nobody's answering the phone. I rang the reception yesterday and asked, could they at least check that he was still alive? A one minute call from a doctor or a nurse is really all I am looking for. A friend's friend is a nurse. An old fashioned nurse is how I would describe this person who really does care. So she said she would pop in to check up on him for me. He is in with one other patient. There was there's two nurses, uh, two nurses. There's a ward clerk and an auxiliary. And when this friend's friend who is a nurse popped in, they were all having a cuppa watching their fo- watching the phones ring while my family member was lying there unwashed, unshaven and I have to say in a very depressed mood because he hasn't had any contact with anyone. And the fact that he needs his phone charger, obviously his phone has died so they can't even ring or contact him or send him a text message which it paints a very, very bleak picture. Now obviously 
we're, we're not saying what hospital it is, it is in or anything like that and I hope that that is really an isolated case. I can understand, you know, hospitals are doing their very best because of COVID and visitor restrictions are underway but you would have thought that if a bag was dropped in with items that somebody needs, particularly when we can't get in to visit loved ones, would you not expect within a couple of hours, I'm not even expecting an instant drop off of the bag, but surely within a couple of hours, a bag that gets dropped to reception of a hospital. Surely there's enough staff around that somebody could pick up that bag and drop it and get it to this gentleman so that he has the bits and pieces that he needs, including the all-important phone charger, so that he can keep contact with his, his family members. And I do hope, as I say, I got that text in yesterday. I do hope that that situation has been sorted since. If that listener is still listening to us, let us know and that your family member received the bag, all the bits that he needed, and that you've got some kind of contact with him even if it is just on his mobile phone and actually I did for anybody that is in hospital and listening to us in hospital I did see a piece of advice that has been issued to hospital patients that they shouldn't go and chat to other patients that they they say it's good to move about you know to get out of bed and go for a little bit of walk and they're encouraging people to do that but they're saying to people please not go into the room or the bed space of another patient to stop and chat and that was advice that came out from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre who obviously are now worried because they got COVID cases in the hospital and they don't want patients going from bed to bed. And because of my first text that I read out, you can't have visitors. You could understand if somebody, particularly if you're in a room on your own and you go for a bit of a walk down the corridor to get a little bit of exercise and there might be somebody in another room that perhaps you know or just that you want to chat to somebody, you could understand why patients have been doing that. But the Health Protection Surveillance Centre are coming out now saying to patients when you're in hospital, by all means get out of the bed and get your exercise by walking up and down the corridor, but please don't stop and have a chat with anyone. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. With our Thishuk addressing the COP26 summit in Glasgow yesterday afternoon, Micheál Martin said that Ireland has an opportunity to work with the farming sector to make sure there is is a sustainable future for young farmers. West Cork Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, who is Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on climate change, he says there's a lot of fear out there among the farming community. And uh, Christopher joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And I, as soon as I mentioned that you were going to be joining us and we were going to be discussing this on the programme, I can already see that real fear factor amongst mm. farmers coming in. I mean, straight away when I mentioned that we were going to be discussing farm, farmers, a, a, a listener says the politicians are going to sacrifice farming for the planet. Farming is finished now. And that's just typical of some of the texts that we have received in. And you've got the likes of the Irish Farming Farmers Journal reporting that emissions cuts of, say, 21% would result in the loss of 10,000 jobs. Is that scaremongering or is that a reality and are farmers right to be worried? Like, uh, we can't rule out the findings of the KPMG report. Uh, and I, I, I read that report and it was some of the findings were concerning. But I think another one of the findings of that report was interesting, Patricia, where it said that um, uh, trying to achieve an 18% reduction in emissions uh, would actually lead to an increase in income. But I just, 
I guess I want to address this because I know there's a lot of fear out there amongst farmers and there's been a lot of talk about um, severe culling of the national herd and severe loss of income. Um, but the government position on this is quite clear. We've uh, said it time and time again, Charlie McConlock has said it time and time again, um, that our position is that we'll stabilise the national herd. Um, and that, and, and what's very, very clear as well, even though we haven't seen uh, the Climate Action Plan yet, and we haven't seen these ceiling sectors. Um, what's very, very clear is that agriculture will do the least amount of the heavy lifting. Uh, and that's, uh, and there's very, very good reason for that. And if you just let me explain for a second, I, Trisha, I suppose, uh, Patricia, okay. how, how this is... is, is yeah, and, and in particular, explain to people what you mean by stabilisation exactly. of the herd. Okay, so I, I just want to explain what's happened. So we've, we've signed into law a bill um, that is... Uh, set to achieve uh, climate neutrality by 2050 and a 51% reduction in emissions by 2030. Now, that's not going to be easy by any means, but I guess as the Taoiseach said yesterday, and as we've seen in COP26, and, you know, every media station, every TV station, every newspaper, every radio station now is covering climate action. And it's covering climate action because it's real, it's happening, uh, and it's something that we need to address. So what, so, so that's the first step in this, that we've set this uh, emissions target of 51%, which is pretty high and it's going to be tough to get there. So then uh, the Climate Change Advisory Council have come along and they've essentially given us, uh, if you imagine, a pie. Uh, and that pie now has to be divided up amongst the sectors in terms of the uh, emissions or the limits in emissions that we'll set for each sector. So when I talk about sectors, I'm talking about transport, I'm talking about um, energy, I'm talking about land use, and I'm talking about agriculture. And the way this is going to work, Patricia, is that it's very clear to me that transport and energy will do the most of the heavy lifting. And the reason for that is because they can do the most of the heavy lifting. We are going to see a massive move towards renewable energy, towards floating offshore wind. Um, we're going to see a massive investment in public infrastructure. And yesterday, or this week, we had an announcement of a 25% increase uh, in rural bus routes. And, uh, you know, I, I might come back to that later in terms of the extra bus routes that we have. So then that brings us to farming. Now, farming is in a far more precarious and difficult position in that any uh, impact that it has on farming will have an impact on family farm incomes. So we have to tread carefully. So this is why we have taken the position that although a lot of the NGOs um, and a lot of climate scientists are calling for a call in the herd in order to reduce methane emissions, we are saying, no, do you know what? Irish farming is among the most uh, sustainable on the planet. If you compare... Um, the emissions in Irish farming compared to Brazil, for example, where they're cutting down rainforests, there's absolutely no comparison. But so yet, when no you compare it, when you compare it to the EU average, I mean, the, the in Ireland, agricultural emissions account for 32 percent of all emissions. The EU average is 11 percent. We're much higher than and, the rest of Europe. And that underlines a very significant point, Patricia. That underlines the importance of agriculture to the Irish economy, and that it's in and around one third of the Irish economy, actually higher than that, about 35% contribution to the Irish economy. If you look at our nearest neighbours, the UK, their um, agriculture and food production is worth about 12% to their economy. So it's very easy for the UK to come along and say, you know, we're going to uh, reduce uh, methane emissions by 30% because it doesn't mean the same. What we're doing is we have a grass-based system, which means we can actually provide food sustainably. Now, that doesn't mean that we that farming gets away scot-free. Farming has to contribute. Farming has to change, as the Taoiseach said yesterday. Um, and it will change, but the sciences are developing. Um, and there's there's several technologies out there that will help us achieve uh, those cuts in emissions. 
you must remember, Patricia, for years and years, um, Europe and successive governments have said to farmers, do you know what? You need to expand. You need to expand your herd. You need to expand production. We'll give you money to do this. Which farmers did. They did, exactly, because they were being incentivized and they were being told this is the right thing to do. We can't now just flip around and say, do you know what? Everything we've been telling you is wrong. You need to cut back, cut back, cut back. But what we do need to tell them is that there is methods that we can do in order to reduce emissions. So some of the technologies uh, are quite advanced. There's a fantastic project happening in Chinook Farms, just north of Bandon. Uh, it's been run by Carby Group, where they're looking, for, they're um, aiming for a carbon neutral farm. No, it's not perfect yet, and there's a lot to learn, but things like genetics, um, things like mixed species swords of grass um, will will lead to re- reduction in methane. Things like, and we must remember, methane isn't the only um, uh, greenhouse gas produced from farming. There's also nitrogen. So spreading of protected urea. So the technologies are out there. It's not going to be easy. Some of them are going to be expensive to implement, but that's where government comes in uh, to help. And, and we, we have committed 1.4 billion euro uh, towards a new agri-environment scheme, which is, I know the CAP review was met with some um, I suppose mixed opinions but one of the best things in that is this new agricultural environment scheme which will uh, be worth 1.4 billion a maximum of 10,000 per, per euro for some farmers uh, 10,000 euro per year for some farmers to implement you know planting of trees planting of hedgerows um, and increasing biodiversity on the farm so what what the message that I really want to get across, get across Patricia is that there's a, a lot of fear out there amongst rural communities and I understand that because change is difficult. But uh, the government position is that we are not looking to call the herd. We're not looking to impact uh, family farm income. Uh, in fact, we're, we're looking to do the opposite. We're looking to encourage what is a very, very sustainable food system here in Ireland. But there will be some tweaks in order to reduce those. OK, emissions. and just and just on, on our admissions, you know, when I knew you were coming on uh, today, I was looking up, you know, you can see online the maps of around the world of, you know, who's, who is producing the most carbon emissions. And we are a tiny dot when you compare to, say, the carbon emissions of countries like China, India, uh, America, do the bigger countries not need to step up and do more? Yeah, of course they do. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've heard this argument that Ireland contributes only 0.06% of emissions globally and that, you know, why should we have to do anything? If every community of, of a population of about 5 million said, do you know what, we're not the biggest polluters, we'll leave it to the other guys to, to, to take steps. If every community had that attitude, then we would get nowhere in terms of keeping global temperature to under 1.5 degrees Celsius. And that is so, so important if we're to leave a planet for future generations. And there is an onus on us, no matter what way we look at it, no matter how painful it's going to be, there is an onus on us right now to look look after future generations and ensure there's a planet there. Having said that, it's really disappointing that, that uh, China's leadership didn't show up. Mm. Um, it, it, it's disappointing that Brazil haven't been more active. But what is encouraging is that they have, both, both of those countries have signed the pledge to end deforestation by 2013. They've also signed up to the uh, uh, goal to reduce emissions by 30%. So there are two big wins at the early point in COP, but look, I, I thought the, the Taoiseach speech yesterday was encouraging. He confirmed that Ireland is willing to do its part. I think it is great. You know, um, while Greta Thunberg wouldn't be too happy with what's going on in, in Glasgow, I think it's really good. That I, for the first time in my memory, and I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but for the first time in my memory, climate action is everywhere. It's in every paper, it's in every newspaper, it's in every radio. Well, I think we're TV. getting to the stage where we, where we everybody knows we really now have no option. They do, and, and, and people are on board with that. And look, 
coming back to how this impacts rural Ireland, and, and it's often said to me that in rural Ireland we don't have alternatives. And that's right. I mean, in terms of rural transport, for example, or public transport, the options aren't there. But I just want to touch on a, a really welcome announcement yesterday, um, something that I've been pushing for within Ryan the Taoiseach, and that's an increase in bus services in West Cork. So now there's now going to be more frequent routes between, for example, Skibreen and Cork, serving Clonakilty and West Carberry. Um, there's a new route between Killarney and Skibreen going through Glengarriff and Bantry, which I think has fantastic tourism potential. There's a new route from Baltimore to Union Hall. There's a new route from Dunmanway to Kintail. So these are all new routes that are going to, although it's not perfect because there's some villages, for example, like Drina uh, is a perfect example of people getting out to me that there's no bus service. There's still some gaps, but we have to be able to give people alternatives. If we don't, then we're going nowhere. It's a, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. Somebody by text saying, how many cars equal the CO2 emissions of one plane? Are we targeting the wrong uh, areas? And actually talking of planes, I mean, it was crazy to see all of the world leaders, many of them arriving in private jets. You're thinking, you know, you're coming here to discuss climate change and they all individually arriving in private jets. Yeah, that's not very much sending out the the the, the, right, the right message. message. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then no, some. I'm, I'm not sure how the teacher went over there, so <laughs> I, I won't uh, point the finger at okay, anyone. Okay, okay. Anne, uh, Anne says, uh, Patricia, they talk about renewable energy, but how serious are they about it? There are thousands upon thousands of large sheds dotted all over the country. Could solar panels not be placed on those? There seems to be no incentives to go down that road. Do we need to be looking at the alternatives? Anne is asking. Very, very good point. And these are the low-hanging fruit. In terms of what does climate action mean for rural Ireland, we, we've, we've heard, we hear a lot about the negative stuff, but there's lots of potential positives out there as well. So, for example, I've been on your uh, radio station recently, Patricia, speaking about the fact that Clannacilty has planning permission for um, a solar farm that will actually, uh, in a day in summer, will actually, um, the, the energy demands of Clannacilty will be met by the um, energy provided from the solar farm. That will actually take us off the grid and make us carbon neutral during those days. So that's happening. Um, the really, really exciting potential in, in floating offshore wind in particular for West Cork in that Ireland can become a net supplier to Europe of energy if we tap into our um, offshore wind resources. It's something like 30,000 megawatts, which is absolutely a huge amount of energy. And that's happening, and we're, and we're going through the processes of getting those applications through in a sensitive way that doesn't impact biodiversity. So, And that will also mean jobs for for. Uh, coastal areas, jobs for ports, jobs for... Yeah, well, I I, I spent, I was off last week and I spent some time down on, down the Mizzen Peninsula and it was the one thing that struck me. It was, uh, there was gorgeous dry days, but they were windy and wild. And it struck me as I was looking out to sea going, why do we not have more offshore wind turbines out there generating all of this electricity? Yeah, we've been laid off the mark. And <clears throat> you're absolutely, I like Mizzen Head is one of my favourite spots. And, and that's what beautiful about it as well is that those blustery days you know it, 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 it really feels wild out there but we're slow off the mark in terms of at the moment we're going through this um, marine planning area bill up here in the Dáil it's, it's going through the processes at the moment um, and when that is enacted we will then be in a position to look at applications for, for um, offshore floating wind and these are you're talking about miles and miles offshore so they're not going to have uh, the visual impact that people associate with um, onshore wind for example um, they they will all be done in a, a biodiversity and environmentally friendly way. Uh, there'll be public consultation processes. So we are behind. It's not going to happen next year. It's not going to happen the year after. But by the end of, of this decade, we're going to see um, large floating offshore wind come on shore. And then it'll all add up then because then people okay. can, if they have EVs, we're seeing more and more EVs coming online. It doubles 
Um, this, they just they just them. need to come down in price, and, exactly. and there will come they're, a time where they'll be yeah. they'll be second hand electric cars, and I think exactly. and that's, go, that's going to happen. All they're right, and actually, yet. and the the T-shirt no doubt will be delighted to see that the friends of the Earth uh, Director Oshin Coughlin, who we've often spoken with on this program, uh, li- he listened yesterday to Michal Martin, and I quote from Oshin: "I've never heard a T-shirt speak so convincingly on the need for climate uh, action." So uh, there's somebody. Friends of the Earth certainly happy with the Taoiseach yesterday. Listen, Christopher, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, who's Fianna Fáil spokesperson on climate change. And actually a number of people are talking about aeroplanes. Um, Mary says, Patricia, on COP26, all the experts who are having a say on CO2 emissions, nobody's mentioned the elephant in the room, i.e. aeroplanes. Mary forwarded on to me an article about the enormous emissions coming from aeroplanes versus those of a car and somebody else says hi Trisha jumbo jets burn 15,000 litres per hour of uh, fuel uh, how much in emissions uh, there uh, as Pat says Patricia we are told that price the price of fertiliser will be double next year and then Joe says the nitrates directive which permits intensive farming to to even keep more cattle has fuelled Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions this is not sustainable farming so it ought to be abolished it only drives on bigger industrial farms and destroys the farm family so when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas emissions but in particular methane I would say start with those on very high stocking rates. This type of intensive farming is simply not sustainable. Reducing the number of animals on intensive farms is also important as it will reduce the number of baby dairy calves which then up end up having to be live exported. And that's from Joe. Some of your comments and texts coming into 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And uh, to the listener who uh, is trying to get to visit a loved one in hospital, drop the bag off and uh, the bag was still sitting there uh, three days later. Uh, somebody says my daughter is uh, in hospital now for nine weeks and she's allowed a visit for 15 minutes every day and I'm wondering is it because of the duration of time that your daughter is in hospital because our original texter was saying that their family member went into hospital last Thursday not allowed a visit and she was trying to get the bag dropped off to him and the bag uh, has been left sitting in a reception she dropped it on Friday and when she contacted us, us yesterday the bag was uh, still sitting there so she was uh, was still waiting to hear back from her today uh, to see if she has uh, the, the bag has got to the ward where the gentleman is 1850 but I hope your daughter's doing well in hospital she's been in there now for a long time now a childhood cancer diagnosis can have a devastating impact on any family and this week the Irish Cancer Society has revealed the financial cost that such a diagnosis has on the annual family income. Avril Power, CEO of the Irish Cancer Society, and she joins me this morning. Good morning, Javril. Morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Now, over €15,000 a year is what you reckon a child diagnosed with cancer could cost a family. Just talk us through how, how you came up with that figure and what's the breakdown of it. We know from speaking with parents of children and teenagers with cancer that they face a lot of challenges. So we wanted to learn more about the impact the cancer has on them and how we can help. So we got core research to survey 100 parents of children who are either currently going through or have recently experienced treatment for cancer. And what they told us was that on average, 
their family income is down by over 15,000 euro a year, usually because one parent has to either significantly reduce their hours or quit work altogether to look after their sick child. And that also, Patricia, at the same time, they're hit with a whole host of extra expenses, typically over 8,000 euro for things like transport to and from their medical appointments, medication, play therapy, extra tuition, just a whole host of extra costs at a time when they really can't afford it because of that income drop as yeah, well. And of course, if there's other, there might be other children, childcare has to be provided yeah. for if, you know, if you've got to go to the hospital with the child and they're smallies, they've got to be looked after at home. Yeah, and what families tell us is they just can't afford this. They end up having to take out loans, defer their mortgages, stop paying into pensions, stop funding extracurricular activities for their other children, which is heartbreaking um, because cancer obviously is awful for the child who is sick. They have to undergo grueling treatments with often harsh side effects, but also has an impact on the whole family and siblings you know, feel that as well. They feel that they're not getting as much time with their parents because their parents have to spend time away at hospital with their brother or sister. And they also miss out on normal childhood experiences. So it really affects the whole family. Um, and what we're keen to do is look at how we can help them best. So we yeah, 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 talk us through the supports that you currently offer families and you have plans for further supports. Yeah, so we currently have families in a number of ways. Um, we have a free advice service. So we have a paediatric cancer nurse specialist, a specialist in children's cancer that families can talk to for free on our support line. That's 1-800-200-700. We run peer support um, with our partner charities, um, Kind Care for Living Childhood Cancer Foundation um, and Canteen, where we connect parents whose children are currently going through cancer with other parents who've been in their shoes previously and can help them and understand what they're going through. And we also offer free in-home night nursing care for terminally ill children. And on top of that, we have offered a grant for families, um, which previously was €2,000 over three years, and um, was 1000 in the first year and then 500 in the second and third years. But in response to this research now, we're increasing that to an upfront grant of €3,000. Well done. Because we can see from this that parents need more help and that they need it at the start. Well done. And of course, you can only continue to do that work, Avril, thanks to the generosity of the general public. We can. Like We're, we're so fortunate. Look, I think Irish people are, are so generous and really, you know, I think all of our hearts go out to any family that's affected with childhood cancer and I think people really want to help and that means that we can help, which is great. So the other things that we're doing is we're introducing a free transport service to bring children with cancer to and from hospital. The biggest cost, it was over nearly €5,000 that families identified in our survey, was transport. It's families travelling from all over Ireland to Crumlin or to the shared care centres around the country for treatment. So from we're going to start rolling that out before the end of the year. And over the course of next year, we'll be able to offer to all families the child diagnosed with cancer that will bring them to and from their house um, private transport so that they don't have to worry about infection risk. We'll, they'll get picked up by some of our volunteers by car and brought to and from the house. And we're also starting a new benefits advice service to help families access state entitlements like medical cards, carers allowance, domiciliary care allowance, which people just find complicated, you know, supports are there, but... People, people, many don't. Yeah, many don't even yeah. know know um, about them. Uh, somebody's asking, saying, could you ask Avril? Does she think the government could do more for these families? 
The government needs to do so much more. Um, I mean, we were really shocked in our research to find that only six out of ten families said that they had a medical card when actually they're entitled to one. If your child has cancer, you're entitled to a medical card. Regardless of means? Yes. Okay. But families don't know that. Um, and you know they they don't know that they're entitled to it, or they can find the process quite quite intimidating and complicated, and that means they're hit with medical costs they shouldn't have to pay, which will be covered on the medical card. There are other costs that aren't covered yet. So I met with Saoirse Rowan the, the other day, um, who has some of your listeners will know from watching on the late late. Has oh, a, has the little girl leg. who had her leg amputated. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. cancer in her leg, and she she has to pay for her own prosthetic legs. And as yeah. she's growing, my mum Rosanna was saying all the time, they have to keep getting her new ones. They'll have to keep doing that for the next few years. And families shouldn't have to pay for that themselves. That should be covered on the medical card. And then the other support that parents have raised with us is things like education. You know, kids miss out um, on education because they're too sick to go to school or they can't take the infection risk, some improved educational support to help them catch up and make sure that that doesn't continue to affect them like it does right now, unfortunately, right into adulthood, you know, because they, they missed out and they're playing catch-up all the time. Mm. OK, listen, and um, uh, people are always very good to support the Irish Cancer Society and anything people can do, please support your, your wonderful organisation, Avril. Listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining Thank us. You. And good morning to you. That is Avril Power, who is CEO of the Irish Cancer Society. And our thoughts are with families when they get that childhood diagnosis of uh, cancer. It really is uh, shocking. There's about 200 children every year diagnosed in this can- diagnosed with cancer in this country. It's a high, high figure. John Paul taking your calls, 1850 We're going to take a break and we've news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Take a look at some of your calls and comments. But before I do that, I just want to acknowledge uh, a very generous act that happened on behalf of one of our listeners. It was last week on the programme. We were discussing the carbon tax increases and we were discussing it in relation to sort of rural Ireland and how rural Ireland is more affected when there's any increase in carbon taxes because a car is a luxury rather than a necessity if you want to get from A to B. And then we were talking about people getting their oil for their home, home heating oil and how that was all going to be going up and we were just bemoaning the fact that prices seem to be going up uh, everywhere. And we we were contacted by text by one of our listeners, uh, a gentleman called Alan, who uh, told us that they had been saving, putting away money every week so that they would have the money to get a fill of oil well a half a tank of oil I imagine because they had 350 euro saved and you could imagine the amount of time it took to save on a low income family with small children to save the 350 euro but they had it and they were just about to get the order in for their oil to keep them warm for the winter and lo and behold what happened the washing machine broke and they were then stuck with the dilemma do they buy a new washing machine or do they put the money into the tank of oil but because they've got small children small children who go to school and they need to get uniforms washed and dried they decided they'd no other choice they had to take the 350 euro and 
by the washing machine instead. And Alan was just texting in, just showing, I think, how tough it is for some families. Lo and behold, we were straight away contacted by a listener who wants to remain anonymous, was saying there is, I'm only agreeing to this as long as there's no names used. Don't You don't need to know who I am, nothing. But this person said, I want to help out that family. And that person kindly sent on €350. It it arrived by registered post uh, to John Paul and I just want to acknowledge it now to to that listener who sent it in to say it has arrived safe and it is such a generous act that you have done. It it really, really is uh, incredible. The kindness of one stranger to another stranger. Now we made contact with um, Alan and he say his family said they're absolutely blown away by this generous act. They literally cannot believe it. So on behalf of Alan and his family, can I say a profuse thank you to that. Uh, it was a lady, wasn't it? The contact us. Yeah, it was a lady. That's all, that's all, all I know. And um, just to say thank you and know that by what you've done, you've kept a little family who I don't even know where Alan is living in in, I know he's in he's in the county, but I don't know where where he's living. But just for that lady to know, you've kept a family with small children. You've kept them warm this winter by being so generous. Uh, and three hundred and fifty euro is a lot of money in anybody's book. So it's it's really really kind. And uh, so I just I want to um, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, um, so thank you. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Okay, I want to go to the phone lines where Martin joins me. This is on the issue. Oh, this is to do with the text I read out from one of our listeners who's having problems with a family member who is in hospital. Went into hospital last Thursday. They dropped a bag off to the hospital on Friday. Not allowed visitors to the hospital because of COVID. But in particular, the gentleman needed his phone charger because his phone had died. And up to yesterday, the bag still hadn't made it from reception to the room, to the hospital room, to this poor man. And of course, there's no contact. They can't, they can't get through to anybody on the ward to even say, how is he getting on? Uh, and just very upsetting, particularly knowing that the bag has been dropped off, but it hasn't made it to the gentleman to where he most needs it. Well, Martin has contacted us. Uh, good morning to you, Martin. Hello, how are you keeping? I'm very well. You had a, Did you have a similar incident with your dad? Well, um, well, unfortunately, it was a, a bit, a bit more than just um, dealing with you know stuff being dropped off. And I understand that family is is um, it's very stressful at the moment for them. You know, their 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 loved one and being inside the hospital and stuff. But um, I had a similar incident. Know that um, the father was inside the hospital for nearly three months. And I was chasing the um, the ward, ringing him every day to know what was going on and stuff like that because he was uh, dealing with cancer. And every time I rang, it was, I don't know, we don't know, we don't know what's going on. And um, the uh, one day I rang so much, one of the ladies answered. And as soon as I said my name, she hung up, she hung up on me, which was quite stressful on that day. And um, I was that was going on for nearly three months. And... Um, this was um, and this was in February, so this was at the height of COVID and the COVID numbers. Yes. So, yes. were you allowed in at all to see your dad? No, no. He went in. He was he was taken away in ambulance on Valentine's Day in the evening, and we I didn't see him then for three months until the week he passed away. Oh, Martin, isn't that dreadful? 
um, like that now it was just you know I, I know they do a great job inside in hospital and stuff like that but with this whole COVID thing you know they'll they'll have to you know as I said on the phone to the doctors and to the nurses I said you can test me at the door if you want I don't care you know it's just they just couldn't they just said no because of COVID you can't get in and um, we I eventually had to ask for a disciplinary hearing and within a half an hour all the doctors rang me back and they, we had a meeting then two days later. And all um, all you were looking for was uh, just a just quick chat to say exactly. your dad your dad had a comfortable night. He's looking good today. He's at his breakfast. You know, just exactly. a little bit and of all, information. Yes, and like that, you know, it, it, I was told countless times that the the doctors would contact me. The doctors would contact me. And it was only until he was in there for three months before any of the doctors contacted me. And they had we had a meeting then, and it turns out that the cancer was after spreading, and they were treated for nearly a month. And it was only at that disciplinary meeting that I found out that that was after happening. And they said you'll be looking at six months to a year at the best. And within a week he was gone. Uh, and uh, I was only I was only allowed in once more. I met him that morning. Me and my uncle met him that morning at the meeting. And even the uncle said it, he says, that's not my brother, like, you know, he was he was a completely different man. He was after way to nothing. And the, the next time I saw him was the day he passed away. They rang me that morning saying, get up now. And within two hours, he was gone. So were you with him when he passed? I was, I was there, I was there but you know, three months, it's, you know, it is, it is, it is torturous, you know, because you're ringing every day trying to just get some information, even talk, you know, even if you could get in for 10 minutes to be great for the patient and, you know, just to go, right, everything is being done, you know, you might be able to catch a doctor and speak to him and stuff like that, you know. Because that's that's what normally happens in no- yes, normal course. times. It's usually during visiting times you'll, you'll grab a doctor or you'll see a nurse and you'll yes. be able to get some kind of inf- information. And did your dad have a phone with him? Were you able to talk to him every day? He'd, he'd he did. He yeah. got, you see, because the cancer was after getting so bad, he was after getting a small bit, how would you say, delirious, you could say. Because yeah. there was infections involved and everything. And he, he, you know, towards the end, he couldn't use the phone. So He got a bit confused. Yes, you know, yeah, just yeah. after getting to that stage. And unfortunately, um, it was, um, you know, you, we, there, was, there, was, there was a week or two there that we had no information at all at all even if he was still in the hospital, you know, because we couldn't speak to the nurses, we couldn't speak to him, the doctors weren't getting back to us, and it was just getting very, very, very um, torturous towards the end. And that's why I asked for a, a, a disciplinary meeting, and within a half an hour, all his doctors were after contacting me. Yeah, and look, I, I know and I accept that hospitals are busy. And I know we'll probably oh, inevitably get a call in from uh, a nurse or maybe a doctor saying you don't understand. Yes. And, and, and and we do understand. We do understand. Oh, we do. How, we I mean, do. You but, know, but, they're, do, they're doing a great job under the circumstances. But they you know, have to realise, they have to realise that when our loved ones go in to hospital like that, we don't just forget about them. That there's somebody somewhere at the end oh, of, of a phone who is just 
frantic for the smallest amount of information. You're not expecting a one-hour call every day. A no, quick, not at all. You know, a quick call to say he's comfortable, he's doing okay, and then yes. for them to pop their head in to say, oh, Martin was just on the phone there, and for your dad to know yeah. that, you know, yeah. That you're, and then, that you're you're checking in on him, yeah, you know, that he's yeah. not forgotten about, or or the, the your 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 auntie or your mother isn't forgotten about inside there, you know, because you know if you can't get through to him, you know, it's very tough on them, and their their mind would start wandering then a small bit, and you know it it, it kind of snowballs from there. Then unfortunately, well, one of the you know, saddest things I remember when the nursing homes finally were allowed to have visitors back in, I heard of a gentleman, and when his son went in to see him, they hadn't seen him I think for about six months. The first thing the dad said was, "I thought you'd forgotten about me." And it's, it's, you know, that's, heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, just it is, heartbreaking. You know, and then you, know, you faced a, a COVID funeral then, obviously, Martin, did you? A small yeah, little, yeah. Um, yes, just, yeah. you know, you know, family and very close, his very close friends and stuff like that, you know. And, you know, um, I met I met a couple of people weeks after then um, that didn't even know he was after passing away and being buried. That would have been friendly with him, you know. And so yeah, that's the other that, side of that's COVID. That's hard as well. Yeah, that's hard yeah, as well. You know, but, Listen, you know, but he's, I'm he's... not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not getting the, the the hospitals. You know, I'm not bashing him by any means. It's just you know, it's just you know, small bit of a small bit of leeway if possible for for the the family and the patients. A little to, bit of communication. To, of course, you know, as you said, you'd want a one-hour call every day because you know I know they're up the walls, but you know it's just to touch base and go look, he's doing okay, you know so on and so forth, you know. Well, you were a great son, uh, Martin, and your dad is at peace now and all the pain is gone at least. Uh, may, you know, may he rest in peace and it's but, in condolences uh, to you uh, and your family. Hopefully, you know, that lady um, can, can get some bit of, um, some bit of, bit of an outcome now for, for, for their situation. Yeah. Now, please, Dad. Okay, listen, you mind yourself. Take care, have a good take day. Care, take care, take no, care. No. That is uh, Martin sharing the story of uh, his uh, dad. That's a tough, tough story. Hi, Patricia. I feel so sorry for that chap, Martin, that you're just speaking to, to think for the, his final three months he wasn't able to get in to see him. And yet here we are now. We have thousands of people heading into nightclubs. Yeah, and look at the figures and look at the numbers uh, rising. 1850 Just on the numbers rising, by the way, Ballinhasic Community Development Association have been on to us. They were due to hold social dancing in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic on Friday night. Uh, but they've decided to cancel because of the rising number of COVID cases. They're taking the decision. And I have a funny feeling we are going to start seeing more and more groups making decisions like that. I was reading on the paper this morning that the pantomime group in Dungarvan, now I know Waterford is probably an extreme case at the moment because they have some of the highest cases of COVID-19 at the moment but the little panto group in Dungarvan who had decided back in May that they were going to run with a panto this year and obviously I'm assuming they, they even probably are just about to begin rehearsals if they weren't already in rehearsals but they've made the decision because of the rising cases it's just it's too risky on the everybody take the cast taking part and obviously they're fearful then of having an event where there will be a large number of people indoors that they've made the decision in Dungarvan not to go ahead with their pantomime at this year so I just I have a sneaking feeling that if the numbers keep going the way the numbers are going uh, 
it's an upward trajectory. I have a feeling we're going to be hearing about a lot more cancellations because if you think about it, when Neffet agreed back in October that it was okay for the nightclubs to open under the guidelines that they put in place, they had predicted that by the middle of November they were saying figures will be around the 3,000 mark. And yesterday, what do we have, 300 and 3,700 and we're only at the start of November so that's going nowhere but up. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Coffee's uh, super value. They're in Bandham. They're looking for a trainee manager. Some experience in retail grocery would be desirable. Send your CV please to Bandon S man at caulfields.com Cycle scene in Cork City they're looking for a full time bicycle mechanic slash sales assistant emails please to cyclescene at gmail.com or you can call into the store scaffolder and general operatives are wanted for West Cork call Hugh on 086 3985 and a welder slash fabricator wanted to work in Newmarket 087 6599424. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. To mark European Living with Obesity and People First Campaign Day, a questionnaire revealed that 74% of those living with obesity believe their weight negatively influences how people interact with them. Joining me from the Irish Coalition for People Living with Obesity is Maura Murphy. Good morning to you, Maura. Good morning, Patricia. You, Thank uh, you for having me on your show. Well, you're very, you're very welcome. Do many people believe that obesity is often the result of poor lifestyle choices, which, of course, isn't always the case? Well, on the survey here, it says 58% of Irish public think that it is a lack of willpower. That used to be a higher number, so I was quite pleased to see that number coming down. But then again, the statistics, and which are statistics are great, we now know that 60% of the Irish population are living with overweight or obesity. 37% of the Irish adults are overweight, and 23% are living with obesity. But the other part is that one in five children aged five are also living with obesity, and one in four young people by the age of 17 to 18 are living with overweight or obesity, according to an ESRI study in 2019. And here, this is where statistics really come in. Among adults aged 50, 8%, now what would you think 8% of the population is? 92,573 people meet the criteria for bariatric surgery, which means their BMI is over 40, yes range. So, you know, we, we, we need to address stigma for starters. Uh, and now I see that a 70, that's the 74%. Um, Professor Carol LaRue there states on that survey that the key to advancing the fight against obesity is, a, obesity is a better understanding of the brain. He said, we thought that overeating caused obesity, but now we understand that the disease of obesity causes people to overeat. Now, the, I think that's a really interesting statement. Isn't it? Yeah. Really eye-opener, so it is. Like, again, I've had overweight since I was 12, you know, did the yo-yo dieting, the whole thing that we've all done, you know, losing a stone and a half, gain back two stone all of my life until 
I got in touch with the science of the, the whole thing, which you will find a lot on our website with www.icpobesity.org. Uh, a lot of people run away from the word obesity, but it's the only one we have. So we have to use that at the moment anyway. Yeah, because, um, because more te- telling somebody to eat less and exercise more is simply not understanding the condition. No, not with the new science that's available. Definitely not. The genetics has a strong role in, determine, in determining body shape and composition. And appetite is profoundly important. While the individual decides what or when to eat, the urge to eat and the sense of hunger and satiety are beyond conscious control. And there's a disruption of the signaling between the gut and the brain. That's an important factor in obesity. We don't think less of individuals whose immune system is so faulty as to give them arthritis or other diseases. And no more should we look down upon those whose gut and brain interactions are dysfunctional. And, and of course, and I, I probably used the wrong word when I said condition. Obesity is classed as a disease. Yes, the World Health, the World World Health Organization declared it a disease some years back. I'm not quite sure on the actual date of that, but um, and other countries are following suit. And once it is declared as a as a disease. It opens up a lot of areas for the people who are living with it. Yeah, you know, a lot of people hide away in shame and self-stigmatization, and you know, a lot of people don't go to different functions because of it. They will miss communions, confirmations, parent-teacher meetings, they miss weddings, but because of stigmatization. Which this is why we got onto the you know the image bank. The by creating a national and unified European image bank of people living with obesity, we share the perspective of the person on what it is really like to live and partake in life whilst living with this chronic relapsing disease. That's what it's defined as. So again, www.icpobesity.org, or if you want to contact ICPO, you'll get us on Facebook at ICP Obesity or Twitter at ICP Obesity. We're a great support group there, so we are. And uh, we're trying to reach as many people, say, who are in isolation around the countryside and who have hidden away for a long time. And more, do many uh, people overweight or obese discuss their weight with their doctor? And if not, should they? Mm. See, that's the first point of call is your doctor. And I think over the, and I myself would be the same, over the years, you you go in and you hope that they're not going to ask you to stand on the scales again and the dreaded scales and, you know, you've put it up or put it down, whatever. But it's literally, you, you go in and you talk about all your other comorbidities. Like, I have type, I have type 2 diabetes. I can walk down the street and nobody knows I have type 2 diabetes. I walk down the street but everybody knows I'm overweight. So you don't, you stop discussing it. You go into yourself. You, there's this, uh, self-stigmatization as well. So, you, you know, you stop talking about it and you just, pass it on that you're, you know, I'm dealing with this but you're not really dealing with it. But the, and you know, and but when, talk to me about stigma and discrimination that people living with obesity face. What, how does that manifest itself? Well, okay, well for myself probably I would say that, you know, if I was sitting on the bus uh, nobody would sit beside me. Oh. For well, that's true. Like, you know what I mean? That, that is the absolute truth. Uh, there's a lot of things. Like, I mean, I could, if I'm out walking, you'll find somebody throws their head at the window and says, hey, Mrs. it's not working, you know. Whereas I'm hoping when I do it now that maybe there's five more cars coming behind saying, well, at least she's trying, you know. But I mean, it's it's not just, you know, I'm not taking personal responsibility away from uh, overweight or obesity. But now the science behind it tells us there's an awful lot more to this than meets the eye. And that's why people who are feeling the the pinch with the overweight or the obesity and they're getting nowhere with it should uh, come onto our site and see what's on our site. There's a lot of information there for people to gain. 
Yeah, uh, and there's and there's strength in unity. Sorry, there's strength in unity to yeah, and and, and getting support, peer support is is just absolutely. it's absolutely. You mentioned earlier in in your stat about the number of people who need surgery. Yes, T- talk to me about surgery and how much that is actually performed every year. I'm not sure of those figures. They would I haven't I wouldn't have a clue of those figures to be honest with you. But it is things, hard to get that surgery, isn't it? It is very difficult to get. We have two weight management clinics, one in Dublin in the Lockdownstown St. Columkills Hospital and one in Cree in uh, Galway. So that's all we have. But there's a new model of care has been uh, launched in twenty twenty. Uh but it was a project the Department of Health HSE and it has a lead the National Obesity Clinic Programme being led by Professor O'Shea, and I'm sure we all know Professor O'Shea at this stage from appearing on television yeah. and radio. And uh, it's to develop integrated models of care that can strengthen the prevention, identification, early intervention and treatment for people who are overweight or who are living with obesity across primary care and acute services, both for children and adults. So there is a lot happening around uh, on that model of care at the moment. And that's so obviously that's what we need more of, particularly with the numbers of children that you talk well, about. Well, that is absolutely the case. I mean, the younger we can get it, the better it is, because it will go on into, as it did with me, into adolescence and then into adult life, you know. So to catch it younger and to to educate everybody exactly that it is a disease. Believe me, Patricia, when you find out it's a disease, your whole outlook on it changes. This mm. the whole thing about shame and, you know, thinking, oh, God, it's my fault. You go, okay, now it's a disease. I will treat it like a disease. If I had heart disease or if I had liver, God forbid, liver disease or whatever else, I'd say, right, what is my best method now to get better? Right, I'll go to my doctor, I'll ask the question. I'll, I'll ask, if, if the doctor won't help me, I'll say I want to be referred somewhere, that I want to know what this disease is about and I want to know what is there for me to help me. Well done, Not well, well done. And, and are you, what are you doing at the moment to try to treat the disease? What am I doing at yeah, the moment? For yourself? For myself. Oh, well, I, I, in 2012, I had bariatric surgery. Okay. And I lost a lot of weight. But I will state that bariatric surgery, there is no fix for this, this disease. There's no fix. You have it for life. So within about five years, I gained back two stone, went back to the, the consultant, and that's the important part. Follow up, follow up, follow up. Back to the consultant, they put me on this injection called Ozampic. I suppose I shouldn't say it, but anyway, there it is. <laughs> but that has helped to curb my appetite. Okay. So it's the appetite is a lot of the problem in that you don't know when your hunger, where and where your hunger is. And that is part of obesity. It's, it is, that's the part. I'm sure that the science will get better and better on this. I'm so looking forward to it. I mean, I'm six, nearly 66 now, so I'm hoping to hang around long enough to find out what, <laughs> well what, what they're going to come up with. It's, it's kind of exciting. But, um, but anyway, our, uh, you know, our, can I talk about our image bank? Yeah, uh, please do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, it was, as I said, it was set up right across Europe. Uh, there were about, well, at the moment, about 12, com- 12 countries involved in it. And uh, we find that images used to accompany online or print news stories frequently depict people with obesity from unflattering angles often inactive and consuming unhealthy foods such as the burger and all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, the cream bun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and by the way, if you're if you're out with your family and you're eating an ice cream, people don't uh, don't worry about coming up to you and saying, do you know you shouldn't eat that? 
and the frame and the view. And so not showing a person's face implies there's something shameful about what they're doing or who they are. So we are advocating for a fair portrayal of people with obesity in the media. We maintain a free-to-use image bank depicting people with obesity in various settings, which we're encouraging the media outlets to make use of. Patricia, do you know that we have had some brilliant articles done by journalists, absolutely brilliant ones done on stigmatisation, Whatever, whatever, the, and, and like, you know, problems about getting out walking and things like that, barriers to health. But unfortunately, they're not the ones that choose the photograph for the article. There's a picture editor. That's so, in every I'm newspaper. Saying, I know, so I'm saying that now. Picture editors, please take note. We have an image bank now available, which is free to use. Well not, done. Not commercial use, but it's definitely for the newspapers. Okay. And and Have listen, a look at yourself, Patricia, you'll love it. I will so. indeed. And listen, Maura, you're, you're a great advocate on behalf <laughs> of the group. So so well done and continue good health to you. And once again, just remind listeners of the website. The website is www.icpobesity.org or if you want to look at the European one, it's ecpomedia.org. Okay. All right, and listen. We don't be on. Don't be hiding away. Don't be. Don't be feeling in isolation. Please contact us. We're all there for, for each other. I right, get out there, and there's a big, there's a big, beautiful world out there. That needs to be enjoyed. Listen, Absolutely. thanks a million for joining us, Maura. Absolutely. Thank you God for having bless. me on the show again. Take, Take care. Bye bye, Maura Murphy. There, a lovely lady. Uh, she's with the Irish Coalition for People Living with Obesity. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Group of residents in the North Cork area have set up a project to help out families in need this Christmas. The success of this project will depend on the generosity of other local people. And joining me with the details is uh, Fiona Shanahan. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks very much for having us. Well, that. listen, congratulations and well done to each and every one of you who've come up with this. I've been following it on Facebook and I thought, when the minute I saw it, I thought this is really a, a brilliant, brilliant little, little project that you can do that lots of other people could do in their own local area. But let me start by asking you, do you think this year more than ever a lot of families are struggling and are already dreading Christmas. 100% Patricia. Um, when we started this last year, I suppose now, I know it was obviously during the midst of COVID and everything, but COVID aside, um, it was our aim like that. We want to help people who, through no fault their own, they have found themselves in hard times. But genuinely, the people themselves are so slow to come and ask for help. It's It's actually, it's outstanding really. But like that people that would know people or would know that they may be struggling would put their names forward and things like that. And like while last year our numbers were huge, this year, I mean, they've tripled by comparison. It's just... And some of these families, uh, uh, Fiona, will appear to the outside world to be doing okay. There could be, you know, there'll be people heading out to work every day. There'll be a car outside. I'm sure they're, they're doing fine. But the reality is no one knows what goes on behind that 
front door. Absolutely. And Christmas is a time for everyone, like we talk about the joys and the jeer and this and that. But like, Santi will always be missed, you know, kids, Santi will always come to everyone at Christmas. But it's helping to ease the burden and just knowing that that you could be the person behind that behind that screen mm-hmm. that could take that, even if it was only the tiniest little bit of pressure off of any, and a household that's struggling, like would would give you every success, you know. What are you asking people to donate? Um, well, this year, I'll just give you an example. Like this year now, last year, we helped out 37 families between families and hem- or between hampers and presents. This year, we have 45 families for hampers. We have 93 children for presents and we have eight elderly gift sets. Um, the, we've, we've collaborated with the Mallow Acts of Kindness this year and also John Dunlead through the Garda Youth Division Project. He's the coordinator in Mallow. And they have people who are gladly going to help to wrap and stuff this year, which would take a huge burden of pressure off of us. Well, particularly when your numbers are gone are up. so high. And yeah. um, the Act of Kindness is looking after the Secret Santa for the children. So, I mean, like the help, we're, we really are a collaborative team. Like, it's a, it's, it's a community effort at this stage. Like, like, last year was only a handful of us. This year is, is a community effort, which is absolutely beautiful to see. And it's great and, to be a you part know, of. And, and for families listening and, and people who can afford it, to go into a toy shop with maybe a, a child in mind, like a, a mm-hmm. five-year-old mm-hmm. little girl, absolutely. and just go in and look and think, what would a five-year-old little girl like from Santa Claus this yeah. year? Or as I said, you know, I was talking to, to Lynn O'Rourke, who actually started this group last year. She's amazing. Um, who, like we were saying, even down to like a new pyjamas for Christmas, new slipper socks, yeah. small things. They don't have to be like, I myself wouldn't be flush with money. But it's every little bit helps. You know, if people can't afford to donate a gift, we have a GoFundMe page. If it was only two euro, five euro, I mean, everything will add up. Everything will help. Every, as they say, every, every little, little helps. helps. And I mean, you have, you've collected, now, are you mainly Mallow based? But you've collection points in Formoy as well. We do. We've collection points um, in Formoy with the big, the vape shop in Formoy and we've Beck's pet shop in Formoy. In Mallow, we have Lyons shoe shop and the vape shop, which is on the hill. In Castleton Roach, we have the post office. In Butchvent, I'm going to be the direct link at the moment because I don't have any drop-off points, but I'm on Facebook. People can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm going to be the direct link for Butchvent and Donneville area. Um, but if, if any business in that area would, would consider like being board, a collection point, actually, it would be great. Um, I must thank Norma O'Brien in Countryside, Montessori. She has come on board and she's going to get her, her smallies in the group involved as much as possible as well. Um, so I've sent them out some flyers and stuff like that that they could put up you know, that if, if 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 anyone there would like to drop off something. And I mean, even if, if it's not a gift, like we've, we were looking for non-perishable food for hampers, Christmas treats, selection boxes, tins of biscuits. Yeah, anything, biscuits, anything. Yeah, anything, you know. Listen, at the moment, the supermarkets are nearly, give, are nearly giving them away. They're, they are, they're, they're, they're so cheap. cheap. Yeah, just like throw in, just throw in an extra. Five boxes yeah. the other day, and I was saying, wow, one box would have been, you know, but like he was saying, for heaven's sake, they're so cheap, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it'll just brighten up some families' Christmas yeah. who, you know, they're real luxuries. They're the kind of things that it'll be, they'll be hard pushed uh, to get. And what I love about this, Fiona, it's local people helping, helping out local other people. local people. And as you say, it'll be done very discreetly. Many people 100%. won't, yeah, many yes, people w- w- won't even know. And if, Somebody knows of a family that really is struggling. 
to maybe make contact with you? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Our Facebook page is the Christmas Tie Appeal 2021. And on that, you'll find the the link for the GoFundMe page as well. I'm also running raffles. I, this, I'm on my third raffle at the moment, and we've been giving a cash prize of €250, Euro, and the remaining €270, Euro, we're going off the bonus number, the latter number bonus ball. So when each one of those is full, so each time that I've sold each one of those lines or those numbers, um, the remaining money that's left over then goes straight directly back into the Christmas tie appeal well to try done. and raise funds. Well done. You're and doing, that's, on my own, that's on my own page, but there's also a link for it on the Christmas tie would, appeal page. Would you like to see other people in other areas do something similar? I think it's beautiful, Patricia. Yeah. And yeah. I, had, I suppose I had the, the fortune of being able to hand out some of those hampers last year and to see the absolute joy on people's faces and the relief almost just to feel, you know, like one thing we did last year, which I thought was a fabulous idea. I don't know if we're going to have the budget to do it this year, but if we did, it would be amazing. For every hamper we distributed, we also gave a voucher for a butcher shop. Well, um, the turkey and the ham. So it, it might not have covered it all, but, to- but it towards it. would have gone towards it, well you know. Done. Um, and if if there's any business out there and I know businesses have had it tough but some uh, some businesses have done very well let's Mm -hmm. be honest there are businesses that are have probably done more profit in the pandemic than they did before the pandemic Mm -hmm. so if businesses want to get on board and while we're talking about families that really are struggling and the cost of everything is rising we also know that there are many families who managed to save a lot of money during the pandemic because you couldn't spend it. I know the CSO were only out this morning uh, talking about something like 312 billion euro is sitting in banks belonging to people. So there are people that have a few extra bob and they might just this year consider passing some of that on. That would be fabulous. We would be so, so grateful okay, as just with the community. Remind us of your Facebook pages again. Uh, the name on the Facebook page is the Christmas Tie Appeal 2021. Okay, and um, you've got, and there are various, the, the and there's posters, the there's posters, posters in various fire. businesses yes. where you can drop off non-perishable food items and toys. And don't forget the teenagers. I always think but that... This is, this is it, and I only had a woman text me last night saying, oh gosh, I'm after getting a 17-year-old boy. What would you buy a 17-year-old boy? And I said, you know what, every young flu would love to get a bottle of aftershave. Or, yeah. You know the way, like there's, there's ways and means around anything. We used to just, it, it's made me put my thinking cap on greatly. And look, I mean, I found myself struggling a couple of years ago and like I was saying, you know, wow, if something like this was out, it would have been such a help. So like it's it's great. And like everyone, like they might feel, oh, sure, I'm only throwing in a couple of tins of beans or I'm only throwing in um, a thing of porridge. But that, that in itself will help, could help any one family, you know. Yeah, yeah. Same, it might only be a euro on their shopping bill. But it's it's helping somebody else. Listen, you know? I I remember Vincent Paul many years ago telling me the story of going into a house that was in the middle of Cork City and bringing in a food, you know, mm-hmm. hamper of food, and the the grandmother was looking after the grandchild, and very obviously there was hunger inside in the household, and the little one got up on the chair to look to see what was in the box, and there was a there was a packet of porridge that the little one copped. She didn't see anything else, only the porridge, and straight away said, "Granny, can we have porridge now?" And they realised there and then that that child was hungry and was just for for a bowl of porridge, and it just, you know. So when you put that packet of porridge in, just think there's a family desperately in need uh, of it. Listen, you're doing fantastic. Stay in contact with us, and if there's anything we can do for you between now and Christmas, let us know. Patricia, can I just thank while I'm on here? Um, Dunn's very very kindly um, allowed us to put a trolley out for two weeks 
Um, unfortunately, we won't, the word wasn't very much out there. But like, thank you very much to everyone who put something into that trolley. Okay. And to Aurora Charity Shop for um, donating all the wicker baskets and stuff to us to help towards our appeal. We're very grateful. Okay, keep in contact with us, Fiona. Thanks, Patricia. Take, Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. What a lovely lady. And there's just such great kindness out there, people. And the success of this will be down to the local people. That's uh, Fiona uh, Shanahan from the Toy Appeal for 2021. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A reminder to you that Succession, that wonderful TV show, is back. It stars our favourite, savagely wealthy family, the Roys. And you can listen to C103 all this week as we celebrate the release of Series 3 of Succession with Now. You can win a holiday to New York. It's worth €10,000. It's got flights to New York. There's a limo transfer to your five-star hotel. There's a helicopter ride over New York and there's also some spending money uh, thrown in. How do you enter? You need to answer the question, who plays Logan Roy in succession? Is it A, Brian Cox or B, Courtney Cox? You text the word holiday along with your answer A for Brian Cox or B for Courtney Cox and you need to include your name and you send it to 570. 80. That's 57080 and the texts cost two euro each. You Therefore you must be over 18 to enter and you'll be in with a chance to win a holiday worth 10,000 euro. One text required per entry and you need to get the bill payer's permission. The winner will be announced on the 9th of November. For terms and conditions please check out the competition page at c103.ie A lot of people reacting to um, Fiona who uh, spoke to us in the last hour and saying what a lovely, kind, kind person uh, she was. And then a gentleman who wishes to remain completely anonymous contacted us with what we can only describe as a very generous donation for Fiona's Christmas toy appeal. And we've obviously put the two in contact with each other. So just thank you to that uh, gentleman for deciding that he wants to help out people who are not as fortunate this Christmas. And God knows, please be aware of that. There are many people who are not doing well. There are others doing well, but there are many people who really, really are struggling and you never know. They can be your neighbours, they can be family members and on the outside it looks like everything is okay, but you just don't realise what's going on behind closed uh, doors. So that's why little groups like what Fiona and her crowd, her gang are doing, I think is fantastic. And if we could get more of that in local communities, because local people know what's going on in a neighbourhood or you'll know, you'll hear from somebody else and it can all be done very discreetly because unfortunately for families who find themselves struggling particularly families who never struggled in the past they are the very ones that find it very hard then to come forward and say I need a bit of help at this Christmas and they're probably the very same families who in the past when everything was okay were first to jump in and help out on appeals like this so we you know we say uh, to people please reach out I mean the likes of the St Vincent de Paul societies who are all over the city and county they do amazing work as well uh, coming up to Christmas and then now you're going to have little community groups like what Fiona is doing as well you'll have other little groups like that so please if people can help out uh, please do 1850 now I've had a response back from our listener who uh, kicked off the whole debate and discussion about having a loved one in hospital during Covid times and not being able to get in to see them and she was having problems it turns out it was actually her dad went into hospital last Thursday dropped a bag off 
off to him on Friday. When she contacted us yesterday, he still didn't have the bag. The phone charger is in the bag. He needs to charge his phone so that our listener can talk to her dad. And also she's having problems getting through to the ward. Nobody's answering the phone. And then, of course, we heard the really really heartbreaking story of Martin talking about his dad earlier in the year when he was admitted to hospital during Covid times with cancer and for three months Martin didn't get to see his dad and just got to see him before he died it was just heartbreaking and actually the amount of people to say they were crying listening to Martin speak it was just yeah absolutely heartbreaking anyway the original listener who contacted us about her dad I'd said if she was listening for her to contact us back as I was dying to know what had happened had the bag did the bag finally reach her dad where she's back to say Patricia thanks for giving coverage uh, to my text I was so mad this morning that I actually went to the hospital I asked for the bag back so it's obviously still sitting in reception and I told them I will sit here and remain in the hospital reception until it is collected lo and behold 14 minutes later somebody comes down to reception collects the bag and drops it off to our listener's dad but I'm waiting now and hoping to hear from my dad on the ward if he is able to speak to me I do agree that there are a lot of staff doctors and nurses who are extremely busy but while I was sitting in the hospital there was numerous males and females boys and girls passing by all holding folders there seems to be a lot of admin staff to me, looking at them this morning, they didn't appear to be doing a lot of work. Uh, why can't a nurse make contact just even for one minute every day and let me know what's happening with my dad? Deepest, deepest sympathies to your caller, Martin. The circumstances around his father's death will surely make the grieving process even longer for him. Yeah, I did, I did, I did think of that as well. Poor, poor old Martin. And we'll all keep Martin in our thoughts and uh, prayers. But listen, good luck to your dad. And I hope he does make contact once he gets the phone back up and running and charging again and once you're able to talk to him I think just to hear him and know that he is uh, he is okay but to try to get contact for somebody in the hospital just to say look your dad's doing you had a good night he's doing okay you know as I said to Martin he wasn't looking for a one hour phone call every day just you know 30 seconds a minute is all it uh, would take and Mary and Butterman said totally empathise with Martin talking about his dad on the programme this morning that is the reality unfortunately for so many people in this country at the moment it's so frustrating for families they can't even get an answer on the phone when they try to ring the ward hospitals need to start considering the impact that this non-contact is having on families and patients alike it is real torture, causing people unnecessary worry, panic, frustration and fear. Uh, thank you for highlighting this and that's from Mary from Botovant. You've put that very well. It is causing unnecessary worry and panic and frustration and fear because you're there the whole time. I mean, as our original listener said, you know, she was there thinking, could somebody go in and check? Is the man even alive? You know, when she wasn't able to hear, she couldn't contact him because the phone, he needed a phone charger and then nobody was answering the phone in the ward to see who he was and only that she knew somebody who had a friend who was working in the hospital who was able to when either on duty or when was coming off duty was able to pop into the ward to see and relay back what was going on with her dad but that's not good enough that really is not uh, good enough thank you uh, to those listeners for their texts 1850 just on the local property uh, tax I had a listener on saying Patricia I had to wait two hours to get an answer on the phone for the property tax but I did manage to get through yeah I'm saying to people please please be patient 
and another listener Anne says uh, Patricia I'm just off the phone from the local property helpline spoke to a lovely helpful lady called Siobhan uh, I was only waiting four minutes and she sorted it out for me God you did well Anne you rang early enough I'm just looking at your call uh, and you, you rang morning time but you rang about 10 or just before 10 I would say uh, they say the morning times are the busiest time. I think between 10 and 12 is the busiest time for the local property tax. And then another listener contacted us on the local property tax. They were shown into my local post office to pay my local property tax. And the woman there said, I don't need to send back the form once there's no change. And I so I paid for it there. And then happy days. Mm, can I just say that really that's kind of misinformation on behalf of the lady inside in the post office. You're right in that you can just pay the estimated charge, what revenue estimate. Everybody who got got a letter, there would have been an estimated charge on it. And I know revenue are already saying that if a householder doesn't submit a local property tax return by the 7th of November, then it will use the valuation tool to estimate the charge. But at the end of the day, it's revenue we're dealing with. And I would always err on the side of tick all the boxes, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Because if revenue decide to do, we know revenue already are double checking valuations and already they found just a small number of of homeowners who were undervaluing their properties. But if revenue decides to do a trawl on all the people who didn't send in a valuation, do you really need the hassle of revenue down on top of you for the sake of you filling in the form? I would, and the form you're talking about that came with the letter that you brought down to the post office today. There is an envelope with that that doesn't even need a stamp. So I would suggest it won't take you very long. Tick the boxes, fill it in, put it down and send it off and just be done with it. That certainly would be my advice. But you've got your property tax paid well in time, that's for sure. 1850 We were talking about COP26 going on over in Glasgow and we were talking about it with regard to climate change and how it's going to affect farmers. number of people in on this topic. Hi Patricia, what's the carbon footprint of the 26 countries meeting in Scotland? Well John, I can tell you there's a lot more than 26 countries because there's 27 countries alone representing Europe and you've got countries from all over the world. Did I see somewhere that there's 120 countries? I'm open to correction on that. And all of those countries have a team with them. There's a huge, huge number of people are over in Scotland for COP26. And the reason the 26 is it's the 26th time that the COP has met and the COP is the Conference of Parties. That's that's what it's the abbreviation for. James wants to know, what is the definition of an industrial farm? James says, as far as I can see, 99% of Irish farms are well-run family farms. This term, industrial farm, is put out by certain individuals to cast Irish farming in a negative light, says uh, James, who doesn't believe that there are any industrial large farms out there. He believes 99% are family run. I don't know if all farmers will agree with you on that, uh, James. And John, uh, who is from Roscommon, but working in the area, says, Morning Patricia. I don't know if you saw the photographs of all of the government jets parked up at the airport in Scotland, probably including one of our own. Doesn't make sense that they're all over in Scotland talking about climate change, that they can fly in on government uh, jets, uh, says John. I did. I actually mentioned it when I was speaking with Christopher O'Sullivan earlier today about it. I did mention the fact that so many of them had flown, had come in on individual private uh, jets. Could they not have somehow all gotten together? 
together and decided, well, let's charter a plane and get people from neighbouring countries to all meet up. But that that, uh, that that didn't happen. And we've already, as I mentioned earlier, people are talking about the amount of CO2 that's emitted from a, a jumbo jet is absolutely huge. Harry says the politicians are afraid of the small farmers. What has gone wrong is from 2015, when they got rid of the quotas, the ranches is how Harry describes them. They've taken over. These are the industrial farms that James is disputing exist. Harry says they have taken over and they've expanded and expanded. They need to have control over these very large farms that are snapping up any available land. Look at the admissions that these large farms are generating, some of them having up to a thousand cattle. Mary Newmarket says farmers were self-sufficient back in the 40s, 50s and 60s, but then they decided to change things. And now you have a situation where farmers don't grow enough veg and it seems to be going in the direction where huge farms are growing the vegetables and huge farms are dealing with the cattle. I think if we went back to the way it was, where we did have the small individual family run farms, uh, farmers wouldn't have to depend on just one crop like they do now. Maybe we need to go back to basics on it. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. We are looking for your gardening questions, please, for Peter Dowdle. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Anam Cara, they offer support for bereaved parents in Cork and the surrounding areas. Their next meeting is on today. You need to register in advance, though, uh, on Dublin 404 5378 or email info at ie. The Greeland Quartet, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, will play in concert in Abistruri Church in Skibbereen tomorrow night, Thursday at 8 o'clock. Tickets are €15 Euro, and they're available at 086 Ballonhasset Community Development, as we've mentioned, they have cancelled their social dancing at the Marion Hall in Ballonhasset. That's been cancelled due to rising COVID numbers. The drive-in bingo is happening this Friday night in Kildallery Premier Yard, and that's at 8. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Premier League Live is back this Saturday on C103.ie with Trevor Welch, powered by Talk Sport. We're bringing you coverage this weekend of Manchester United versus Manchester City. That's at 12.30. Crystal Palace versus Wolves is at 3. And then Brighton will take on Newcastle. United that's at 5.30 that's the Premier League live online would now stream live Premier League action with the Now Sports or Sports Extra membership you can listen Saturday on the C103 app or go to c103.ie Now a couple of people are on about COVID related worries and also about boosters. Liam has a problem in that his mother is in the over 80 category and as we already know the rollout of the boosters for the over 80s has already started and it's well underway. But Liam's problem is his mum at the moment is a patient in hospital and therefore she didn't get her booster. Now his dad is at home. The GP practice rang. The dad went off 
he got his booster but obviously the mum wasn't available because the mother was in hospital and Liam said the hospital is not giving out boosters at the moment and she, Liam is wondering has anybody heard of any indication that hospitals will start doing boosters she's been tested every second day while she's in the hospital but obviously you'd be fearful about having a woman in her 80s in hospital fearful that she might pick up uh, COVID and Liam would prefer if she if she had the booster I haven't heard of hospitals doing it I wonder if you can get through to the hospital could you ask the hospital have they any plan in place and explain that your mum was due her booster and that she did get called to her GP practice and see what the hospital can tell you on that one Liam good luck with it let us know how you uh, get on Hi uh, Patricia I would like to say that there are many towns across the county that are badly affected with Covid cases including the town that I live in there's no Covid search checks no crowd control no worries at all about Covid there are two major consequences as I see I see it if you get Covid uh, you a family member or a friend could get seriously ill or die if, if Covid is spread in the community. You can pass on COVID to work colleagues which then could lead to you being laid off work, maybe cause your place of business to have to close temporarily or even permanently. Please, please think twice when socialising and we all need to practice self-control. And someone else is making a similar uh, point. If I can find it, it's gone on me now. Somebody else was making a point. Oh, here it is, sorry. Um, hi, uh, Patricia. I'm a parent from West Cork. We are still on high alert when it comes to COVID-19. Over 3,000 cases yesterday. Was it over 3,700 cases yesterday? There is something seriously wrong, uh, Patricia. Myself and my family are all fully vaccinated against the virus. But to be honest, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference because whether you're vaccinated or not uh, vaccinated, you can still get it. Yeah, but the big difference is if you're not vaccinated and you get it, you could become very unwell. But yes, if you're vaccinated, you can still get it, but you just, please God, won't get sick and won't end up in the hospital and won't end up dying. Is that That's the, the main wish. But I absolutely accept your point. You can still, if there's a lot of COVID in the community, you're still at risk of picking it up. Anyway, back to this listener's text. I'm working in the hospitality business and I love working in my job, but I am in fear every single day day and pray that I won't get COVID or that my family won't get uh, COVID. The certs, people having certs, that's not going to prevent you or me or anyone else from picking up the virus. To be be honest, I think the certs are a waste of time. It's common sense at the end of the day, uh, Patricia, when you go in somewhere, you need to ask yourself the question before you make a move to go into any establishment. Is it safe? Think first, make the move then. Are all of the guidelines in place? Is everybody adhering to the restrictions? In my opinion, we're certainly looking at another lockdown for Christmas. If these cases keep rising, it's no good pumping vaccines into people and vaccinated people are still getting the virus. It's been transmitted from person to person. The the vaccine certs, like I said, are not going to stop the virus transmission. At the end of the day, it's common sense. And it is all back to self-control and personal responsibility. You're 100% right on that. But just, I think they need to start rolling out the boosters. Now, I know the booster shots, they're going to be rolling it out to the, to the 60 to 69 year olds at the vaccine centres and the over 70s are going to be called into their GP practices to get it. But if you look at Israel, Israel are kind of the poster boys. The whole world kind of watches Israel because they struck the deal with Pfizer, remember day one. So they were the first to get 
very high numbers vaccinated. So they then were the first to see a waning of the vaccine. But they were also the first to start a major booster campaign. And in Israel, they gave a booster to everybody over the age of 12 because their figures, as the vaccine started to wane, they started seeing an increase in cases. And then they started the booster dose. And I saw at the weekend somebody in their health department to come out and say it was as good as having a very strict lockdown. The numbers literally plummeted when they gave the booster. The booster topping up your the vaccine that you already got really is working. All the science is there and all the evidence is there from Israel and that's what I think we need to do here. I think NIAC needs to look at it, NEFIT needs to look at it, the government needs to look at it and look at the evidence and I think we need to roll out a stronger booster dose and, and roll it out for everyone. I mean they're looking now at people under the age of uh, 60 uh, who maybe are unwell or have certain conditions they're looking maybe at going down, down that route and I know before somebody chirps in and says it, there's the ethics behind giving a booster to people who are already healthy the idea being if you get Covid you're not going to get very unwell, particularly when we have poorer countries who haven't even got a first dose of a vaccine, there is the ethics of it and we've got to weigh one up against uh, the other, but are we heading towards another lockdown? You would like to think we're not, but if the figures keep going the way they are going It's like the writing is on the wall, isn't it? And Eileen says, Patricia, I'm just wondering and rather concerned. There's a man working with us in a shop and last week his daughter tested positive for COVID and yet he is still at work. What's the story there? Well, I know for in some, we've been told that if you're fully vaccinated, you can't be deemed a close contact. I know certainly that's the way it is at work. You know, if you got COVID, Eileen, your other, you'd be at home, obviously, and have to stay at home for 10 days. But your other work colleagues wouldn't have to remain at home, even if they were deemed uh, close contacts. But I don't know what's the situation if it's somebody in the household. And, you know, I don't know what age the daughter is. Is she been, you know, does she, does she need minding? Does she need, you know, personal care? I don't, I don't quite know what it is. I would suggest asking the gentleman. I mean, I'm assuming he was contact traced by the HSE and he's taking the advice because if his daughter tested positive she would have a contact tracers on to her to say who are you living with who are you in contact with and then they make the decision as to who's a close contact and who's not so I would suggest asking what did the HSE say to him 1850 Hi Patricia I got my booster last Thursday in the City Hall I'm 67 my husband is 69 and didn't get an appointment well it's a little bit like when the rollout first started some people got it ahead of others I don't think it's necessary age related as it was the last time so just uh, hang in there and the fact that you're do- oh yeah the fact that you're 69 you will be called to a vaccination centre I'd give it another week and, and wait and see what happens and then if nothing happens give them a call and just to make sure that he hasn't fallen between the cracks but they're still working through the 60 to 69 year, year olds it's going to be another few weeks before they're all fully vaccinated 1850 John Paul's taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and we are looking for your gardening questions please because Peter Dowdell uh, our resident gardener joining us after these Cork Today on C103 with Sean Cusack insurances can sail it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie This is the Cork Today replay on C103. The weather has started now. Suddenly we're into more normal weather for this time of year. And actually, I think it's the first uh, time I'm forecasting a frost tonight. Is that going to have an effect in the gardens? Yeah, I think we had. I was talking to somebody who told me that um, we had three times the normal October rainfall this October uh, and I was I was kind of gobsmacked because I reckon that 90% of that came in the last week of October because we had a lovely few weeks and then we just had biblical rain on the, in the last few days of October and that's probably going to have done more potentially more harm to any garden than the frost we're going to get so it, it's, it's just typical Ireland isn't it we're going from one extreme to the next so we've gone from that very wet and windy stormy weather to, to really, really beautiful early winter weather, lovely sunny skies and, and cold, crisp days. Um, the frost that's, that's forecasting and even the dip in temperatures, any, anything that's frost tender, uh, Trish, you'd want to be keeping an eye on, all right? Anything that's kind of like your geraniums, which might be out since the summer, or, or frost tender fuchsias, any of those kind of frost tender summer flowering plants, you would need to either bring into something like a greenhouse or a polytunnel if you have one, or, or maybe... Uh, it's probably not necessary for horticultural fleece yet, but soon. I'd say get yourself a roll so you have it to hand for when the temperatures do drop. Yeah, and of course we've had it. it we have above average temperatures for this time of year. Certainly in right throughout October, it was it was extremely uh, mild. And uh, Ken says uh, he thinks it's because the temperatures were so mild. He said his daffodils are starting to sprout up, and he's worried will they get affected by the frost. And this this is a this is a question, not just with daffodils but with other bulbs that I've been, I've been getting asked more and more over the last number of years, and particularly this year, lots of people are at me are asking me, you know, uh, when should they be planting their bulbs? And I, I think we mentioned it before a couple of weeks ago, Trish, that 
I'm quite, sorry, the reason I'm kind of hesitant here, the answer to the question is no, they'll be fine with the frost, right? But, but uh, it'll just stall them. The reason that, that they're growing so soon is because the temperatures have been higher uh, and they, they kind of nearly think it's spring. But where I'm going is a lot of garden centres and supermarkets and things like that start selling bulbs now in August. People see them and think it's time to start planting, but of course it's not. I mean, the, the seasons actually haven't changed in terms of gardening. You really don't plant your bulbs until October onwards. Um, so what's, what's happened is because they were available sooner, because they are available sooner now, people are planting them sooner, that's leading to, to them growing earlier. No, they won't get damaged by frost during the winter because they're, they're, they'll be okay, but they will possibly flower much earlier than they should. So you'll miss that display at the right time in the spring. Um, but the answer to the question is no, they'll be okay. And yeah, the cold be- temperature will probably stall them. Because stay on daffodils. Another listener says, I bought daffodils about six weeks ago and realised I forgot to plant them. I left them out in the shed. Is it okay to plant them now? And of course it is, isn't it? Abs- oh, it's absolutely. You've, you've really, I, I often don't get my bulbs planted until January. So there's absolutely no urgency with them. No, November is absolutely fine. Just if, if any of the bulbs are soft or rotten, don't plant them. But all, if they're hard and firm to the touch, they'll be fine. Okay, Kate says, uh, Hi Peter, is now the right time to transplant heathers from pots? Want to transplant them out into the garden? Yeah, absolutely. Plant away. If you're going from a pot into the garden, Trish, you can really do it at any time of the year. The only, the only exception during the winter months would be if the ground is physically frozen or if it's waterlogged. So if, if, if neither of them is the case, then you can plant away. You see, there's no, and you can plant from a pot into the ground at any time of the year in the summer because there's no root disturbance when you're taking it out of the pot. It's only when you're going the other way and taking it out of the ground that you really have to be careful of the season. And even that, we're in the right time for doing that now as well. Okay, Anne from Bantry has geraniums and polyanthus. For the past year, the leaves of these plants are being eaten by something. The plants are flowering very well. No problem with the flowers. Great colour on them, uh, but ongoing damage to the leaves. What am I doing wrong here? Thanking you, Peter, from Anne in Bantry. It's not a question of Anne doing anything wrong. It's a, it's a question of, 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 of something else going on. It's hard to say, obviously, what it is, because without seeing the, the leaf or without seeing the plant, it, it could be you know a number of different bugs in the garden. Um, it, it, polyanthus in particular are prone to vine weevil. So the grubs of vine, the vine weevil acts in two ways. The grubs feed away on the roots under the ground. And they, so therefore, because they're under the ground, you don't see the damage until it's nearly too late. And the, the soil around it begins to get waterlogged. The plant looks yellow and sickly and it just doesn't thrive. And then when you touch it with your hand, it nearly comes away because all the roots have been eaten by the grubs. Um, but the, the, the reason I think it may be that is because they're very fond of, of polyanthus and you'll see the adult eating the leaf. Like what I mentioned before to you, Trish, it's like the old fashioned bus ticket where they're eating notches from the outside in. Mm. It's not holes in the middle of the leaf. So if that's if that rings a bell, then I'd say it's most likely vine weevil. If it's if it's um, if it's holes in the middle of the leaf and things like that, if the whole leaf is being stripped, it could be slugs or even caterpillars. Not at this time of the year, obviously, but earlier. If it was earlier in the year, it could have been caterpillars. Um, the best thing to do here is if it's vine weevil, you need to introduce uh, a nematode. Um, something like Super Nemo or there are other ones out there which is a biological control so it's totally environmentally sound. There's no point doing it at this time of the year because it's too cold. You need to do it sometime between mid-March let's say and August when the soil temperature I think I think it needs to be 10 degrees or above I could, could be wrong on that but it needs to be warmer than what it is now anyway. Um, and then it, it all goes back to the bigger picture if it's for other problems if it, like if it's slugs or anything like that 
of just maintaining this natural balance in the garden instead of introducing insecticides and damaging things make sure you have a good bird population in the garden to put out bird feeders they'll feed on slugs and snails and they'll also feed on on many of the grubs that could be causing the, tr the problem and caterpillars so it's, it's all about making sure that a good natural balance in the garden okay and we have a question about a grisselinia hedge. It's on a boundary ditch. It's a little bare at the bottom. How do I get it to thicken up, said Alina? It's planted a good few years ago. If it's a, okay, if it's a good few years ago, how you will do that? Okay, provided that the it's not caused by, let's say, lack of light at the bottom. In other words, that there isn't a wall or something else stopping sunlight getting it to it at the bottom. So, accepting that it isn't, that isn't a problem, then you need to you can do it in one of a few ways by reducing the height of the grisselinia you're going to force these dormant lateral buds or side shoots if you like that are dormant at the moment uh, you're going to force them into growth so by cutting it down you will force it to thicken up okay but the other thing is depending on how you cut the hedge so if you if you can picture the hedge trish if, if you're cutting it so that it's nearly pyramid in shape. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's, it's tapered a bit so that it's, you don't have to go to that extreme, obviously, but just to illustrate my point, if it was pyramid in shape, the, then you'd have a lot of the sunlight getting down to the bottom of the plant. However, if you cut it dead straight, or if you cut it whatever the opposite to a pyramid is, if you know what I mean, so if it's wider on top and narrower down below, well, then the sunlight isn't getting to the bottom of the plant uh, and that's what's causing it to be bare. So you could cut it down in height, which will encourage it, encourage it to push out, but also make sure that the higher you go, the higher the plant is, the, the, the harder it's cut so that there is light getting to the bottom of the plant. And I would say that should help. Maybe a good feed as well with a good organic seaweed feed in, in kind of next, not now, but from next March onwards. Okay, Mary has lavender that still has a few flowers on it, but there's masses of non-flowering branches is now the time to cut it back. She also has a honeysuckle. It's planted on a shaded back wall and it's never flowered in three years. Is it time to get rid of it, says Mary? probably I would say in terms of I always hate digging out and getting rid of a plant but it's probably if it hasn't flowered in three years then it probably is just too shaded it's not getting enough sun so if it's time to get rid of rid of it or not I'll leave to Mary but the answer to the question will it flower probably not I'm afraid okay um the the first part of that question the again, lavender which was the, the, the lavender, lavender. Yeah. so yeah lavender Lavender benefits from being lightly trimmed, if you like, several times during the year as opposed to one hard trim, particularly not now coming into the cold temperatures. So um, you could trim it back lightly now, definitely, but I wouldn't, it never likes to be cut back hard. So without seeing it, it's a diff difficult enough one to answer, but trim it back now. So when the flowers are finished or even today, uh, sacrifice the last few flowers, trim it back by a few inches. Uh, and then I would say come March again, as growth is beginning again on the other side of the winter, trim it back again just another few inches, even if you don't think it needs it. So you're forcing it then to stay good and dense and good and compact. And do that several times during the year to prevent it getting woody and leggy and, and bedraggled looking, if you like. Because if it has got woody and bedraggled looking, it's kind of time to bite the bullet and take it out and replace it. Yeah, and there's nothing like the smell of lavender in the garden. Now, now Mary and Mallow is summing up a question that a number of people have contacted us about. Mary planted a bee garden for the first time this year. She put in wildflowers, lavender, sunflowers, uh, poppies, etc. Does Peter have any advice on what to do with it now over winter? 
this is a question again that I'm being asked more and more and I'm delighted to be asked because it means that so many people are doing it. I was giving a, a video demonstration yesterday in the, in the WWW and a lot of people had the same question and it's great. And the, the answer is this, if you've, set, if you've set out a wildflower area, you've either left it go naturally wild or you've done it from seed yourself. Come kind of September, October, now obviously we're into November, so if you haven't done it yet, do this now. When the flowers and that have finished, as I say, normally late September, October, uh, you cut them back. So depending on the size of the area, you could do that with a, a hand shears or a strimmer and just strim them and let them lie on the area. Let them, don't move them, let them lie there so that the seed trish will disperse out of the dead flower heads it, from the seed pods back into the soil, okay? Um, and then after your few weeks, uh, remove those trimmings and, and put them off into the compost bin or wherever and those seeds will have gone back into the soil and most good bee mixes or wildflower mixes will contain a mixture of, uh, of annual species, biennial species and perennial species. So what that means, Trish, in layman's terms is in year one, you'd expect a lot of colour from the annuals. Year two, the biennials will start just coming into their own. Uh, and from year three onwards, like any of these wild gardens, it's a long term project. But from year three onwards is when you really see it becoming species rich. So if you've done it this year, hopefully you got a lot of colour from annuals. Trim them back that the seeds go back into the soil which means next year you should get more colour from the annuals and the biennials and the start of the perennials. So you do it every kind of September, October, November, cut them back, let them on the ground for a few weeks and then trim them off. And really that's all you do. Brilliant. That's it. Brilliant. And the bees will be yeah. delighted with you. OK, Peter, we'll talk to you again next week. Look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks for that. Bye-bye. Peter Dowdell of theirishgardener.com and a quick text in from a listener when we were talking about hospitals saying, uh, Patricia, a recent patient, I was a recent patient at CUH. I would like to say so many of the patients are actually coping very well without visitors. I was in a four-bedded ward and because we weren't relying on visitors, we all became very friendly with each other. To anyone who says that the staff do not appear to be busy, I think you should walk in their shoes for a day. Apart from the physical jobs, they are inundated with clerical work that has to be completed before they can hand over to their next shift. Each and every one of them were amazing. So, well done and thank you for that. Now, that's where we wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Stay safe. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.